This is the IBJ podcast for the week of November 14th, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. The convention and events business that downtown Indianapolis has worked so hard to develop over recent decades has recovered fairly well from the worst days of the pandemic. The big needle-moving convention events such as Gen Con, the National FFA Convention, and FDIC International, the biggest firefighter convention in the world, were in full swing this year, each bringing tens of thousands of people downtown. Indianapolis leaned heavily on its ability to stage big sports events during the pandemic, including nearly all of March Madness in 2021, so it certainly was ready to host the College Football Playoff National Championship in January of this year, and the downtown hotel market is getting close to complete recovery. Occupancy has averaged about 62% so far in 2022, just 10 percentage points down from healthy pre-pandemic levels. But the folks in the convention and tourism industry will tell you there is no resting on your accomplishments and their line of work. They're always looking at least several years into the future. And indeed, there is a new competitor on the horizon. Nashville, Tennessee, a fellow NFL city that also has positioned its downtown for tourism, is on the brink of building a new football stadium downtown with a covered roof. And as we know here in Indianapolis, a stadium with a roof gives your city a lot of flexibility in attracting and staging major events for sports and concerts and conventions. And Nashville officials have been clear that they'll be going after events that Indianapolis currently hosts or traditionally is in the hunt to host. IBJ's Mickey Shuey has a story in the latest issue of IBJ trying to gauge the potential impact on Indianapolis of having a tougher competitor for some of our bread and butter business. And he's our guest on this week's podcast. Here's our conversation. I'm happy to welcome back to the podcast, Mickey Shuey, who covers real estate, hospitality, and the business of sports for IBJ. Thanks for making time. Thanks for having me, Mason. So in this week's paper, you have a story that hits on all of your beats, which is one of the reasons I think that we thought it was a good idea to put three of our newsiest beats under one reporter. So let's set the scene in Indy first. Explain to folks how the Indiana Convention Center and Lucas Oil Stadium are related. So aside from being just a stone's throw away from each other along Capitol Avenue, The Indiana Convention Center and Lucas Oil Stadium are the city's two largest convention facilities. They're really where all the action happens when the city's largest events are in town, like Gen Con, the NRA when it's here, and most recently, National FFA. As a whole, downtown is extremely walkable for visitors, and that's thanks in part to the proximity of these two venues. But they're also physically connected to each other through a tunnel that goes underneath South Street. So they really bring together the whole walkability efforts of downtown through, through what we consider kind of the gerbil tunnel system that runs from Circle Center Mall all the way to Lucas Oil Stadium, and it hits a lot of hotels along the way. Now, explain to me how uh, big events like uh, the Firefighters International or the FFA or Gen Con, how do they use Lucas Oil Stadium? They're obviously not playing football. Exactly. So... 
a lot of times for those big events, especially the FDIC or for National FFA, they'll use Lucas Oil Stadium not just for the exhibition space that they have on the kind of the, the basement area of, of the stadium, but they'll use the stadium itself for uh, for displays or for general sessions where all the attendees need to be in one place. Um, for National FFA in particular, that's where they do a lot of the the big speeches, typically when the governor speaks to the FFA, he'll speak from there and all the students will be in the stands or, or even on the floor to an extent. Uh, FDIC uses the stadium's floor, the, the field itself for some displays of fire equipment. Right. Yeah. Like the, the things with giant ladders, for example, that you like would not be able to fit into a regular building. Exactly. That's fascinating. And, and with FFA, for example, used to be called Future Farmers of America. I mean, that is tens of thousands of people. I mean, you really do need a facility that big. It, it is. It's it's huge. They had, I believe, about 70,000 students in town this year in their, in their blue coats. So they they bring a lot of business to downtown. And, and that's that's a big part of why Lucas Oil, play, Lucas Oil plays such a big role in Indy's convention traffic. And the thing that it has going for it, I mean, besides the fact that it's really big, is that it has a roof. Why, why is the roof important? So it really all comes down to flexibility, Mason. Having a roof makes a stadium in a city like Indianapolis, a place certainly not known for mild winters or summers, a more feasible location for big events that require predictability from a weather standpoint. Some events hold general sessions there, like we talked about, and and it's highly unlikely that those same events would be coming here if they had to make their visitors dress in parkas for a three-hour event at Nadler <laughs> Stadium. Yeah. And having a covered roof is also helpful for staging sports events like football and other sports championships like the Final Four, uh, the College Football Playoff National Championship, which we just hosted in January. I assume because nobody wants to uh, take the risk of, as you say, having to, you know, being under a foot of snow while watching your national championship. Absolutely. And in fact, the 2022 college football playoff national championship was the first time that event has been held in a cold weather city. Just look at the Super Bowl too. I mean, Indy hosted the 2012 Super Bowl. Yeah, it was a little chilly. It turned out to be a pretty nice, pretty nice week for the Super Bowl, but there's still big risk factors when it comes to fan experience at any outdoor stadium, even even in warm weather cities. I mean, Miami, when the Colts played the Bears in Super Bowl 41, there was a steady rain throughout that game. And it, by all accounts, it, it kind of hampered the, the experience of being at that game. So having that roof really sets the tone for what fan experience could be. Yeah, I remember um, th- I saw a documentary about that that Super Bowl, and I think that in, in that like space in that city, like it had never rained on that date, like in in recorded history. And the the, the day that uh, it took place, it was pouring. Oh, and I also recall, for example, the college football national championship in January. You had two warm weather teams, which you know tend to be uh, you know really the powerhouses in college football. You had Georgia and Alabama with our warm weather fan bases arriving in Indianapolis to freezing temperatures and wind chills that were close to zero. The high on game day was 20. So, um, you know, I assume that, you know, having to sit in the, in a, an open stadium when it, when it was 20, it really would have turned off a lot of fans. Exactly. And, and I actually talked to some fans that day down by the stadium and a lot of them were 
were singing praises that Indy had a has a uh, has an enclosed stadium because of those temperatures. I mean, albeit once they got inside, they were they were nice and toasty, but but a lot of them were loving waiting the line, even if they were going to see their their team play. And as you said, holding the national championship in a cold weather city had never been done before. Uh, do you think it'll ever happen again? Do you think Indianapolis really has a realistic shot after the experience that they had this year? I, I really do. I mean, the the event was voted the college sports event of the year by Sports Travel Magazine. That's the first time that particular uh, publication has ever awarded the national championship with that recognition. And, and in talking with officials for the college football playoff, they certainly haven't ruled it out either. They they've said that they they'd love to be back here, but in the same breath, they basically said that their dance card is full for a few years from now. So it likely wouldn't be until much later this decade or even early in the 2030s that Indianapolis can bring that event back. But a semifinal or even an earlier round game in the college football playoff, expanded college football playoff championship, which will go to, to 12 teams here, I believe, I believe 2027, it's a possibility. So that brings us to Nashville. Tell us, what does Nashville have planned in terms of a new NFL stadium for the Tennessee Titans? So they have some pretty big plans. First, they want to build a 60,000-seat stadium that would be domed. Uh, likely wouldn't have a retractable roof like Lucas Oil Stadium does. Very few teams do that now uh, just because of the cost-to-benefit uh, analysis there. Um but in addition to that, they want to develop more than 150 acres surrounding the stadium with hotels, apartments, retail, so on. Think of the initial plans that were in place for the GM stamping plant before Elanco took over. Or what about uh, Bottleworks? Waterside. It, it would be even bigger than Bottleworks. It, yeah. It's a similar concept, but it'd be seven, eight times bigger. But basically, you're just kind of taking a... Take the uh, the Indy 11 concept that they want to do, but multiply that by five or six times. And that's really what they have in mind. So I'm, I'm guessing that they I mean, they see this as an opportunity to further develop the land that's near there, exactly. uh, near near the site, but also to uh, create you know services and facilities that would also serve uh, the stadium in whatever capacity they want to use the stadium. Yes, and, and that's really a trend right now in in all sports that are for all teams that are looking for new venues they're really trying to kind of sweeten the deal for taxpayers who may be footing part of the bill for these projects by saying well you know it's not just going to be a stadium we're not going to be surrounded by parking lots we're going to have this 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 and this here that you guys can use anytime yeah it's it's interesting because folks have been to lucas l stadium now it's a beautiful monolithic uh stadium but there really isn't anything around it I mean, it, it, like you say, it's parking lots. Uh, and it's been, I think, a real challenge to get anything, you know, close to, you know, fan-friendly amenities near there. It has. And, and there were there were even talks when Lucas Oil Stadium was being built about doing some sort of more organic mixed-use development surrounding it. It just never really came to fruition because of land holdings in that area and just getting all the parties on board with, with that concept. So... Right now, I mean, there's, of course, the Stadium Builders Association that's that's doing some work on the south side of downtown, but there's really never been a concerted effort to to do a mixed-use development surrounding the stadium directly. 
I'm just curious, what is the projected cost of the Nashville Stadium? So it's a doozy. It's uh, about $2.1 billion. Uh, for perspective, it was about $840 million for Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, ironically, about $840 million for this new facility in Nashville would come from from the Titans, the NFL, and and some licenses that the Titans would sell for for the right to have season tickets, and and then the states chipping in a one-time five hundred million dollar uh, contribution, and then the city's going to pay for the remainder about seven to eight hundred million dollars uh, through revenue bonds uh, that it would issue uh, through the Metro Sports Authority, which is kind of like the Capital Improvement Board. Uh, but for national sports venues. For sure. So, I mean, you've got the state involved, you've got the city involved, and I'm certain that they want to get as much out of this facility as they possibly can. They don't want to use like, you know, eight or 12 times a year and then they mothball it for the rest. Absolutely. And what is the timeline for building the stadium? So the stadium is expected to open in 2026 in time for Titans' first game there, which would likely be in August uh, for preseason. Uh, but there's still a lot of hoops that they have to go through with city and state officials. Um, everybody's on board there at this point. Everybody wants to make it happen, but they just have to get through that process. Now, you note in your story that since Lucas Oil opened in 2008, five more enclosed stadiums have been built nationwide, including facilities in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, in Atlanta, most of these new venues have already hosted major sports events. Now, why in the story are we particularly concerned about Nashville? So really it's the proximity factor. And, and to be clear, Nashville is not generally a major competitor for Indianapolis, nor is Indianapolis a major competitor for Nashville when it comes to big conventions and events. But at the same time, Nashville's never had the facilities to compete with Indianapolis for, for these major marquee events like FFA or Gen Con. Um, in some ways, those efforts will still be somewhat hamstrung because the football stadium won't be connected to the convention center like Indianapolis has. But Nashville officials have said that they're looking for a seat at the table for big sporting events. Has anybody from Nashville explicitly said, yes, we are hoping to get some of the events that right now are going to Indianapolis? Have they thrown down the gauntlet anywhere? Absolutely, they have. Um the CEO of Music City Center, which is Nashville's uh, convention center, uh, his name is Charles Starks. He's, he's said as much, and so has a leader of the National Convention and Visitors Bureau, which is kind of like Visit Indy uh, for that city. Uh, they both really indicated a deep desire to get major sporting events here, including the Combine, which India has hosted since 1987. We'll talk about that yeah, more in a second. Combine, yeah. yep. um, but, but they've also expressed an interest in maybe even going after some of the conventions uh, that Indianapolis hosts and, and finding ways to accommodate those users. Just to be clear, Nashville is a, in a smaller city than Indianapolis. If we just look at Indianapolis proper, it's I think we're close to a million people now. I think Nashville is closer to 700,000. I don't know if they quite have like the same density of, uh, of metropolitan area that we do. Um, but Nashville is a hospitality town. I mean, they've really built their, their uh, economy around music tourism. Uh, and, and just the fact that in many ways, it's kind of a cool city. It's, it's becoming fairly a high tech city. So, it, you know, it's not like they're just coming from nowhere, you know, you know, waving their fists and saying, we're going to get you Indianapolis. I mean, they're contenders. Absolutely. And it's also important to note that that they're really becoming a business hub in the South, too. Oracle is moving its headquarters there. 
Amazon, uh, famously, they chose Nashville for a kind of an ancillary project to their HQ2 project that Indianapolis was going after. So, so they've really landed a lot of new tech jobs lately, and they're really coming up in, in that area. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and my conversation with Mickey Shuey about the potential for more convention and events competition from Nashville, Tennessee. So let's look at sports events because I'm obviously the key piece here is the big stadium, the cover stadium. You said you spoke with the CEO of Nashville Convention and Visitors Bureau, and he made no secret that they want to get a Super Bowl. They want to go after the NFL scouting combine. They want to go after the NFL draft and the Pro Bowl. Though I'm not really quite sure what the future of the Pro Bowl is right now. I think the NFL had started talking about maybe doing something different. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely want all of those events. It's important to note that they actually got the draft back in 2019, and and it was by all accounts really successful. They did a good job with it, uh, but certainly this could this could help them lure that back here. Uh, really, though, the, the feather in the cap that they want is the Super Bowl. That's that's what every team owner wants when they build a new stadium in the NFL. And frankly, that's essentially what they're promised when they build a new stadium, uh, given the investment that they make. Yeah. I mean, for example, as happened with Indianapolis, we built a stadium. We got a uh, Super Bowl four years later. Uh, and I think you could go through uh, the most recent spots of for the Super Bowl and, and find – some similar happenstances. Yes, and, and in fact, there have been so many new stadiums built over the past 10 to 15 years that there really has not been a repeat Super Bowl host over the past 10 years. Now, we should note that Indianapolis has been the home to the Scouting Combine since 1987, but the NFL recently has signaled interest in exploring different alternatives. Indianapolis only has the event now through 2024. Yes, um, so... Los, Los Angeles and Dallas both made pretty compelling bids for the scouting combine. Uh, the NFL ultimately decided to keep it in Indianapolis because they like the familiarity, they like the layout of the city. But the fact that they're even talking about moving the combine seems indicative to a lot of people that, that it could go somewhere relatively soon. Do we know whether Nashville is interested in trying to host a Final Four? They, they've expressed interest in that, and, and certainly they could make a case for it because they've never hosted the Final Four. The largest city in the South that everybody really thinks of lately when it comes to hosting the Final Four is New Orleans, but then you also have Atlanta in there. Nashville being kind of a blend of Midwest and the South in terms of geography, it could be a really compelling location for, for the uh, Final Four if the NCAA ultimately goes that direction. They have the hotels. I mean, I, I, I looked this up. I know I still use Google. I think they have something like 20,000 downtown hotel rooms. They've, they've built up quite a bit downtown in terms of their hotels. I stayed down there a few years ago. 
and in really their footprint, while well, it's not as walkable as, as Indianapolis's, there's always something to see when you're walking around downtown Nashville, whether it's on um, whether it's the entertainment or the restaurants. There's always something compelling whenever you turn the corner, like, oh, I want to go look in there. Now, when I originally was thinking about the Final Four, uh, you know, a little voice in the back of my head said, oh, you don't worry about it. You know, Indianapolis has like this regular deal to host the Final Four every four to six years. But then I was reminded by uh, by our, our main editor, Leslie, that that it really is not the case anymore. Is that right? Yeah. So there's a little bit of cloudiness about whether Indianapolis actually has a, a clear deal in place with the incident of light. Back in 2010, the parties agreed to an extension of, a, of an earlier deal from when the NCAA uh, decided to locate in Indianapolis uh, from Kansas City. And that deal extended through 2039. And that would have allowed Indianapolis to host a major sporting event for the NCAA, whether it's a men's or women's Final Four, the NCAA convention, first or second round games for the uh, men's basketball tournament, so on. So it's not really clear if that's still in place. Indiana Sports Corp really isn't providing a, a clear answer on that yet. But it seems that in any cycle where Indianapolis puts in a thoughtful bid, NCAA is still inclined to include it in some way in its bid cycle or its um, its location list for upcoming events. I assume, I think as we spoke earlier, Nashville is interested in trying to get some part of the college football playoffs, yeah, either the championship game or this expanded set of playoff games uh, that they're going to have after 2027. Did they say as much? They, they do have an interest in going after college football playoff uh, as well as being part of that bid. Really, for Nashville, it's about being part of the conversation from here on out. It's not about just getting one Super Bowl, one college football playoff game or one Final Four, they want to be at the table in perpetuity with this stadium. So they're they're really hoping to kind of be, be on those short lists for, for the next 30, 40, 50 years for each of those events. I mean, all of these sporting events that we've been talking about, I mean, this is, this is another competitor in our general region, demographically pretty similar, big downtown, downtown capable of hosting a lot of people, and then now with a, or soon to have a, a, a roofed stadium. So that that is really where Nashville is going to be more competitive with Indianapolis? Yeah, so they they are really, a lot of people draw comparisons, experts and, and otherwise draw comparisons between Indianapolis and Nashville and the convention and tourism space because both cities know what they're doing when it comes to hosting events, hosting large groups of people. Nashville has really done that in the entertainment space, indie more so in the convention space, of course. But but both cities know what they're doing, and and Nashville with the stadium really is kind of they're getting a key to unlock that next next step to their kind of their ascension in in hosting events. What are the uh, the experts uh, who we normally talk to or the folks in academia say about uh, the Nashville project and whether it will have an impact on Indianapolis? So they definitely think it's going to have an impact. Uh, Mark Rosentraub with the University of Michigan, he he actually previously uh, taught sports business at IUPUI. He definitely thinks that Nashville is going to make a case to to get a lot of the events that it's going after, including the Super Bowl, of course, but also the college football playoff and Final Four and, and even some conventions. But he also cautioned that 
this doesn't necessarily mean that Indianapolis is going to lose a, a large number of events. It could be a few, a few over the next 10, 20 years, but Indy's going to feel an impact because it's going to kind of have another city breathing down its neck in, in this list of, of major competitors. It, more likely that we would lose sports events than these, uh, these large convention style events like uh, Gen Con or FFA or, Absolutely. Sports are what's most at risk with this new stadium. Conventions, certainly if Indy takes its foot off the gas, uh, those could be at risk too. But in talking with local convention and, and sports officials, they they don't take big events like Gen Con, FFA, or even the Combine for granted. They're always checking in with those groups, making sure that the relationship is solid, making sure that if they are looking elsewhere, that Indy has something to offer them that can uh, reciprocate what what they're looking for. And it's not like you know the city has just built Lucas Oil Stadium and is standing still. I mean they've they've expanded the convention center, and there are even more expansions to convention facilities uh, that are underway right now. What are those? Absolutely. So the Indian Convention Center got its last big upgrades in 2010-2011 as part of this Lucas Oil Stadium uh, project. The one that they're going through now, which is supposed to break ground uh, by, by mid-2023 at the very latest, is the transformation of Pan Am Plaza into a convention center uh, expansion with about 93,000 square feet of, of pre-meeting and, and, a, and meeting space, as well as a 50,000 square foot ballroom, but also notably the 800-room uh, Signia Hilton Hotel. So those are really kind of the next marquee upgrades that Indianapolis is making to its convention facilities. And I'm sorry, did you mention this about the ballroom? There's a 60,000 square foot ballroom? Uh, 50,000 square foot. It'll be the largest in the state. Um, and, uh, and certainly they have already been talking to groups about, um, about coming here contingent upon that expansion. Gen Con and FFA have both committed to extending their, their terms with Indianapolis uh, contingent upon that expansion coming to fruition uh, by 2026. So the ball is moving for Indianapolis. And for folks who don't know Indy very well, the Pan Am Plaza is, I'm going to say, if, if back when I could sprint, I could probably get to Lucas Oil maybe in 90 seconds. It's close. It, it really is. It's it's almost catty corn from, from Lucas Oil Stadium. It's separated by maybe a block. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, again, we have the, the continued densification of our convention and tourism facilities. Uh, by what all accounts, at least by the renderings, is going to be a, a gorgeous steel and glass hotel. Yes. Uh, it's uh, it's supposed to rise 38 to 40 stories. And and uh, be it, it's really supposed to change the Indianapolis skyline is how how locals, uh, local tourism officials are, are classifying it. Now, the other city you bring up in your story is Chicago. The Chicago Bears are evaluating their options for building a new stadium. The city wants to see them stay in Soldier Field, which is next to, I believe, is McCormick Place, yes. uh, the largest convention facility in the, in North America, I think. So the city's strategy is let's propose $2.2 billion in renovations that would include adding a dome to Soldier Field. So now you've got to cover a stadium. Uh, how would that affect Indianapolis? In some ways, it could affect Indianapolis more, and we'll talk about this here in a second. But but they, Chicago does compete with Indianapolis on a more 
regular basis for conventions and for sporting events. Uh, Indianapolis is host of the Big Ten football championship game. It's been the host since it started uh, in 2011. And really that event could make its way to Chicago because the new Big Ten commissioner, uh, Kevin Warren, has expressed an interest in potentially moving moving that event and others around. I mean, we're already seeing the Big Ten men's and women's basketball championships being moved around a bit. Some are going to Minnesota uh, and some to other cities. But the Big Ten football championship is a, really a, a a beacon for Indianapolis during the winter months when not a lot is happening from a sports perspective. Um, I mean, obviously you have the Colts, but, but this is a big event that draws in tens of thousands of people from out of town every year and that could be at risk and not to mention the super bowl and college football playoff implications um whether or not they go to arlington heights or or stay in in downtown chicago so we have the sense that there eventually will be a covered stadium in chicago but we're not sure if it's going to be downtown or it could be out in the suburbs absolutely it's uh it's almost a coin flip at this point, although it seems like the Bears are leaning more toward the Arlington Heights plan. It sounds like they want to have the ability for that mixed-use development approach that Nashville's taking, that Indianapolis uh, is is seeing with the Indy 11. Um, but but it remains to be seen how, how successful they'll be in that, especially when it comes to attracting um, tax dollars to that project because Arlington Heights certainly doesn't have as big of a tax base as Chicago itself does to pay for those things. And it's not really known how much the owners of the Bears are willing to put up at this point in time. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for the story, Mickey. This was uh, really fascinating and we'll just keep an eye on this and I'm sure uh, you'll bring us up to date when there's new news. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Mason. My thanks again to Mickey Shuey. And again, you can find his story in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at IBJ.com. And before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few other stories in the latest issue of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, siblings Phil and Joel Kirk want to be part of the commercial comeback of the Garfield Park neighborhood by reviving a 106-year-old building to accommodate small businesses, apartment dwellers, and working artists. Dave Lindquist has more on how the Kirks are rescuing an important chunk of Garfield Park's history. Also in this week's edition, Susan Orr has the details from a legal tussle between members of an Indianapolis-based wealth management team and the international firm they departed to join a competitor. And we feature a conversation with Titi Obasanya, entrepreneur in residence with Elevate Ventures, the Indiana-based venture capital and entrepreneurial development firm. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. I will say it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on Central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's the new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. And now works out to just about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. 
You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.